What's up, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. We are in the dead period, but the NBA is never dead. It never sleeps. Neither do we. And we are here today to talk to you about a couple more Eastern Conference teams, the Hawks and the Hornets. And as always, got my buddy Ronan here. Ronan, how are we doing? You excited to talk some Trey Young? Yeah, I think it's one of the one of the most uh, interesting offseason uh, off things to talk about. And it's definitely something that... Uh, that a lot of people have some question marks and we brought it up last week and now, now we're going to do our best to try and answer those questions. Yes, and we'll answer them all correctly, accurately, and to the best of our ability. And I'm sure we'll be right about all of them. But how about we, we, we talked briefly about DeJounte Murray. We, we talked about the, the prospect of what that would look like, talked about a little bit of off-ball shooting. And I think we got a little bit away from Trey Young. And I, I want to start here and let's talk about just how good Trey Young was last season and I think in a season that really felt lost for the Hawks coming off of a season previously where they had made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals honestly like could have they had a chance to be in the NBA Finals a team that goes from that to then getting their asses kicked by the Miami Heat first round out tumultuous season random people in and out of the roster it was really lost how good Trey Young was last year and let's talk about that for a little bit yeah, absolutely. I think it's something we a lot of us probably forget about because I don't think, especially compared to the previous year, no one was really looking at Atlanta. It, all you were hearing about was their their poor form and everything, but Trey Young was still going off. What he averaged around 28 points and like nine and a half assists, I think it was. I think that was around the, around the yep, mark he that he hit, which is just absolutely unbelievable. Obviously, defense was still an issue for him, but what he did on the offensive end was huge, and the Atlanta the Atlanta uh, board saw that, and they made sure to bring in a piece that's going to help him get even better next year, which is kind of a scary thought. Yeah, I want to talk. Well, hmm, maybe it's tough to talk about how good he is without first addressing that major thing, right? Maybe you should just get that up the the whole Trey Young defense conversation because I was thinking about this, and. I, I want to think hard about how long we harp on Trey Young for being bad at defense. Because I think the reality is that he will never be good on defense. And I, I think everyone understands that reality. So when we talk about Trey Young, obviously it's from the perspective of a couple of things. One, it's from the perspective of you could have had Luka Doncic. Two, it's from the perspective of he's a borderline superstar. So what do we expect from borderline superstars to just get better at everything so we harp on guys like Luka Doncic for example a great example of how poor he's been defensively and then we see his size and say oh he can do so much better maybe maybe not but Treyon clearly has a ceiling on how good he can be defensively is that something that as fans as um, and for basketball analysts for that matter is that something that we should continue to harp on or do we value what he's good at Maybe that's a cop-out because he's so good that he should find a way to be better. And I guess I struggled to find the proper perspective in that regard. Yeah, I think you, the way you got to look at it is maybe it's on Atlanta to maybe just find a way to make sure it's not really an issue similar to what we see the Warriors do. Like Steph Curry is not a great defender, but they have a great mm-hmm. defensive system and he just... Um... He he fills in. That, that you're role. opening a whole new can of worms, Ronan. Yeah, I, I, but, 
I don't super disagree with that. It's not true. Oh my, all right. We'll go. Great defensive system. That's did you not see his on ball defense like all all the finals long? Like, did his footwork, his ability to stay in front of people, the fact that he's 6'3, he's not a diminutive six. What is Trey Young? 6'1 in, in shoes. 6'1 in shoes. But all right, that, no, we're not, <laughs> not going to debate Steph Curry defense because I, I actually really disagree with that. But but sure, let's just go with this thing. And yeah, yeah, let's let's assume that Steph Curry in some universe that isn't this one is a bad defender and compare that to that. I think that's. That's fair. We value, we mostly value as fans, Steph Curry for what he's good at, which is his shooting, his movement, his gravity, his playmaking. And we don't talk about the defense unless we're trying to bring him down. So, and then, yeah, I think that's how we should frame Trey Young at this point. I, I think I'm, I am getting a little tired of like constantly harping on the defense and it is, it is tough when you're comparing players. So like when we were talking about the all-star selections, it was legitimate to talk about that, but I think, what we can dig into is just how good he is offensively. Cause he's just so good on that end of the floor and so transformative for what the floor looks like, the way he's spacing the floor out from 30 feet, the way that he is a maestro in the pick and roll, the way that he can snake into the paint, the way he just has so much gravity with what he does on ball. And maybe we, we, we just talk about that. We talk about his potential now next to a guy like DeJounte Murray. Now we talked about that briefly and I'm going to give a big, big, big disclaimer here because, you know, stats uh, oftentimes are like one of the most misused things in this world, including sports. Like we can do a whole series on how we misuse stats in sports, but in a really small sample size last year, Trey Young was shooting 48.8% on catch and shoot threes. He had a 71.3 effective field goal percentage on catch and all catch and shoot opportunities. And that's an inflation of what I think the projected success would be. I think he's easily, easily a 43, 44% three point shooter on catch and shoot. And when you look at how he plays with, with screen on ball on screens, the fact that he's smaller is actually a huge advantage to him. You, you see how he can duck around screens how he can really navigate the floor with a lot more quickness and fluidity than bigger defenders that they try to put on him. And when you start to use him in off ball actions like that, I think that's where we're going to see the most success. And then you have the ball in the hands of a guy like DeJounte Murray, where you have multiple options. And I think that's where that's really, really going to blossom. When you see Trey Young coming off of screens and you have DeJounte Murray on the other side of the court, you just have, two major options there with DeJounte Murray deciding to attack or Trey Young getting open. And that's just going to be such a simple cornerstone to what they do offensively. And I think that's going to be probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. 100, I 100% agree with that. I think that's where I get really excited about seeing DeJounte and Trey take to the floor together. Because I mean, like Trey Young is not the first guy who's enjoyed the first couple of years in the league where it's just his team balls in his hands he just gets to do whatever he wants even if it's the wrong thing there's still going to be praise he's done he's still going to put up the numbers and then when the team wants to take that next step maybe the a guy they drafted comes in and steps up or maybe they go and trade for a guy that can help them improve and become a more competitive well-rounded team and it doesn't hurt them it, it makes them better players. I mean, there's like three examples I, I I looked at specifically for this kind of situation. Devin Booker was the first 
Kyrie Irving was the second, and Steph Curry was the third. Well, Kyrie Devin Irving Brooker. got LeBron, but yeah. <laughs> Devin Brooker, I mean, like, obviously, he's a Kobe disciple. So what does he want to do? He wants the bottle in his hands. He wants to score, score, score. But before CP3 got there, he was kind of having to do everything. And it wasn't overly impactful uh, in a positive sense. And the, the, the Suns were obviously a very poor team then. I mean, in the last two years before CP3 got there, his plus minus per 100 possessions was minus 2.65. And then the turnovers were all, were they were very, very poor as well. And the points generated by assists, they were actually up at just under 1,100. That's dropped off. But what we have seen is Booker get better since CP3 has joined. Efficiency, yeah. He's a plus 8.5, plus minus per 100 possessions. He's, he's only generating about 750 uh, uh, points from his own assists, but he doesn't need to do that because CP3 can, and shooting is what he, he is best at, and we've seen the best of him since CP3 has come in. They That's a little adjustment he's had to make. It's not all about him anymore. He gets to play alongside a guy who compliments him in a really big way, and we've seen the best of him and the best of his son since then. Kyrie was similar. When he first got to Cleveland, it was just his team. He was the guy scoring, handles, shooting. That was all Kyrie. First three seasons, he's averaging around 21.6 assists, shooting 45% from the field, 38% from three. Then LeBron comes in. And what happens? The ball's not in his hands as much, but he still gets to be Kyrie Irving. He still has his moments where... He's just isolating defenders and screaming them and just destroying, attacking the rim. His handles were still off the charts. His shooting was the same, averaging more points, about the similar in terms of assists, and the shooting was around the same as well. Then his per 100 possession plus minus, it goes from minus 5 to plus 6.6. His points generated by assists actually went up in uh, when, after LeBron came in. So... It doesn't always have to be a negative thing when a guy has to change a little bit what his main strength of his game are. If, if they're really a talented player and they're committed to wanting to get better and wanting the team to do better, they can sacrifice elements of their game, but that doesn't mean that they aren't still the guys. And then obviously Curry finally, he's, he's a, a similar one, but it was more so with guys who were drafted. Obviously he was drafted a few years before the likes of Draymond and, and Clay. And it was kind of the ball was always in his hands. He was kind of the main guy on the team. And then as Clay and Draymond developed into better players and they demanded more of the ball in their hands, more shots, Steph was able to do that. And guess what? He only got a hell of a lot better. Draymond was obviously uh, getting the ball in more hands and, and, and assisting more than Steph was. He had to learn to play more off ball. And I think we're all, we can all agree that, uh, the first three, four years of Curry compared to what we've seen since, I think he's gotten uh, pretty damn good. And I look at him and I look at Trey Young and I think, especially on the offensive end, Trey Young can absolutely match what, what Steph Curry has been able to do in terms of putting up the numbers and getting wins for his team. Yeah. And then you, you mentioned a lot of, a lot of, uh, stats there and to put in a picture I, I i want to talk about what trey did last year too and plus minus is, is tough since i i think it's a great 
example of of team success too because if you're going to look at Booker's plus minus Kyrie's plus minus and Trey's plus minus in the the bad years it's it's always reflective of how good the teams because if your team's getting blown out you've you're only Luka Doncic just going to put up a plus <laughs> a positive plus minus in a, in a loss with the amount that he does guys like him but what Trey did last year um, if you follow offensive Raptor, that's similar to offensive rating. It takes into account um, all sorts of advanced metrics, but it's, it's a good cumulative uh, measure of impact on the floor. For reference, Jokic led the league by a mile in offensive Raptor, in eight, plus 8.5. And Trey Young came second, plus 6.7. You got him ahead of guys like Curry, Doncic, and Antetokounmpo. We talk about how transformative he is offensively. When you compare him to the best players in the league, he absolutely is a force there. Number one in PER, number one in true shooting amongst guards. He had a phenomenal season last year. And I think there's no doubt in my mind, when you talk about all these players across these teams, like who's going to get better, who's going to get better? And it's kind of tough to see, like, where, where does the player transform their shooting? Usually it's a lot, a lot of incremental stuff. Players will get a little bit more efficient as they perfect little things. We talked to coach, the, the, the micro, what is it? The micro uh, training, whatever, just little things add into your game. And that's where you see incremental improvements for players who've been in the league for a little while. But I think we can count on a massive one from Trey Young just because of the off-ball shooting we talked about with Murray. And uh, let's move on to Murray here. Let's talk about not just how he's going to synergize with Trey Young, but what does he bring as an individual player? Because they didn't just bring him in just to, to help Trey Young. They brought him in for DeJounte Murray. This is about DeJounte Murray, too. I mean, this guy is, and I think always will be, a borderline all-star. And that is not a slight on him at all. I mean, the West is tough. Getting the all-star game in the West and <laughs> at this point in the East is tough. But first and foremost, he is just an infectious competitor. When you watch how he plays on the court, when you hear stories about him off the court, I mean, even getting getting in heated uh, fights with Greg Popovich, like Coach Pop, like that, you know, not in a toxic way, but in a passionate way, like he cares about the game. He cares about winning. He always talks about wanting to win a championship. And the way that he brings it on defense and his aggression on offense, you just see that he's a competitor through and through. And I feel like when you watch the Hawks, you don't always see that. You don't always have that guy like Trey Young obviously has this like villain kind of um, kind of mantra put on him. But in terms of a guy who just has that fire, that kind of Jimmy Butler-esque kind of mentality, I think DeJounte Murray is forming himself into having that type of reputation. And it's lost on a team like the Spurs where they're trying to rebuild. But that's going to be massive for a team like the Hawks that are trying to get back to being competitive in the playoffs. I, I think just thinking about his impact on team culture, I think it'll be huge. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think that's kind of the thing you, you are able to see that just watching the highlights, you don't even have to watch full games of DeJounte Murray. You watch the highlights just on YouTube of some of his plays last year. And you see that aggression, that will to win and that passion every, every moment that he is on the floor. And it's going to be huge within this this Atlanta team that are probably a bit low after last year and kind of wondering was everything everyone was saying about it being a fluke when we got to the yeah. Eastern Conference Finals was that completely yeah. true or are we not as good as uh, as maybe we thought we were? But they went out and made this big move. They got Jonte in, 
and they will be expecting him to come in and obviously he's going to help on the defensive side. He's going to be able to offer that little bit more cover for Trey and he's going to be able to be a different kind of playmaker to what Trey is. I think it's kind of harder playing with Trey uh, with, with guys like trying to cut in that. Obviously Trey's always good, good passer. You're obviously looking for the pass, but more often than not, you're going to think about him stepping back and shooting from the logo and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Whereas with DeJounte, he's going to be having his eyes open. He's going to always be looking for that pass. And he was the second best in assist to turnover ratio yeah. last year, which mm-hmm. was really, really impressive. And the speed and the vision that he has, he, he's kind of reminds me almost, uh, I don't want to go him up too much, but like a, you kind of look at like a, a magic sort of style with the speed and, and the way he's kind of with the wingspan and everything when he's playing those passes. That's I, I kind of love the look of him when he's in the open court. And then obviously the finishing at the rim and the mid-range are his main strengths, whereas you think of Trey, his main strength is three-point shot, which I think that could uh, provide a pretty good tandem because you think of the amount of space that Trey is going to be able to create for Giante, the open lanes that mm-hmm, yeah. cannot leave Trey open uh, at, at all. You can't give him any sort of space. And then, and if you decide to uh, close in on him, Giante is going to destroy in the open lanes. And that's going to be a huge plus for the team. And he's going to be able to, I think, obviously, you always mentioned uh, like the Ben Simmons, how he always is up, uh, up at the top in terms of like three point shot creation. I think DeJounte Murray could do that within this Hawks team. I think look at the likes of Trey Hunter, if he t- stays healthy, Bogdanovich, and even Collins playing with those guys. I think he could get me right up there in terms of three-point shot created, which is uh, which would be a big plus and it'd be something that the, the Hawks did not have last year and they will this year. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to touch on two things you said there. And it, the, the difference in Trey Young and DeJounte Murray um, I'm going to absolutely botch this because I, I don't think I know cars well at all. Uh, in fact, at the moment, I don't even own a car, but uh, <laughs> like a Subaru WRX, like a street car, like a really zippy, fast car, you're racing on the streets. That's kind of like Trey Young. Trey Young's ability to start and stop and step back and to find weird angles to get to the rim. Like that, that's a very special talent of his. But even like guys like Clint Capella have even talked about, you know, the adjustment. Like they've asked Clint Capella, like, how is it different for you playing with? Trey versus Harden, and he does admit that you know there's a difference between the pressure that Trey Young creates on a on a defense. Trey Young causes defenses to definitely react to him, definitely causes doubles, definitely causes the defense to spread towards the uh, the three point line. But I think when you compare that sort of pressure, it's a little different from Dejounte Murray when he's more like a Mustang. He's a straightaway speed, straightaway power. Like he gets to his his move, he gets to his angle, and he gets to the bucket, and he does that really well. So like he he's gonna create crazy, crazy opportunities for lob threats. And I want to go. You you mentioned a few guys here. We got to talk about elite catch and shoot three point shooting on this Hawks team for Dejounte Murray because you mentioned that three point shooting. Two years ago, Bogdan, when he's fully healthy, forty three point percent catch and shoot three point shooter. Last year, thirty eight. Collins last year, 37%. He's 41% the year before. Let's all remember how, how crazy of a year last year was. I think it, that can't be overstated how weird of a season it was. Herder jumped to 42% uh, last year. Hunter, 38%. They just got Justin Holiday, 37%. And he, Murray's going to be able to be 
to be chucking passes to the outside to guys who are elite, elite shooters. He's never had that in the Spurs before. And he, he averaged 9.2 assists. That's just, that's insane to me. What else does he have? He has two elite rim runners. Three, actually, if you count a guy I'm going to bring up. Collins was in the 95th percentile as a role man. 1.44 points per possession. 1.44 points per, per possession on pick and rolls. And it's tough to be to be constantly spamming pick and rolls with just Trey Young because you don't have a whole lot of other creators. They couldn't get to it as much as possible. But you know who else put up identical numbers on admittedly smaller volume? Onyeka Okongwu, a guy who just hit 21 minutes per game in his sophomore season last year, who I think has a ton of room to grow. You just lost Cam Reddish, you just lost Gallo. He's got room to get in there. And Clint Capella on a season where he was still just getting right after some Achilles issues the year before, 1.37 points per possession in the 87th percentile. You just added DeJounte Murray, not just for Trey Young, but the rest of this team, the way he's going to mesh with them is unbelievable. And I know we don't want to go over on time here, but just as a team contract, let, let's look Let's let's look at uh, the expectations, right? So we're thinking, where are they going to be next year? What is a realistic expectation? Are they going to be in eighth seed again? I really can't look at anyone and think that they'll be any lower than the, the, the top six. Because what were they last year? They were last in fast break points per game. Last. With DeJounte Murray, who was the steals leader last year, and he's a guy that's always going to be getting those passing lanes, creating opportunities in the fast break, you got to think they're not going to be last. If they're middle of the pack, that's a great improvement from DeJounte Murray in there. You got guys like Collins, Okongwu, Harkless, Capella running the floor. Got athletic players who can get to three-point shots in the break. And then you look at Atlanta allowing the seventh worst three-point percentage from their, their opponents. Murray is always going to be a guy that prevents that from happening. On average, players he defended shot 34% on threes. Just his impact alone should help with that. So just looking at them, just looking at those, those impacts, I can't think that they're going to be any – they're not going to be worse, absolutely not going to be worse. And if we think about some of these players, let, let me, let's see if you remember some of these guys. Wes Iwandu, Chandi Brown, Cat Barber, Skyler Murray. You remember any of those names? Nope. See, they played a lot of minutes for this team last year. They're not going to be there. I mean, good good luck to them. This this is no this is a no hate podcast. I hope they do great. But they were playing serious minutes with, with all the injuries and COVID stuff that they dealt with last year. So just even with health, having a healthy um, DeAndre Hunter, who I think we we lost a pretty significant period of time to evaluate how good he can be as a player. We know how good of a shooter he is now which was a concern, and we know how good of a defender he is. You add that to a healthy Murray, think about their defense, how much, how much better that's going to be. They're bottom 10. Pick a, pick a defensive or rebounding category, they're bottom 10 in all of them. doesn't matter if we're going to talk last or, or fifth to last or whatever. They were terrible defensively. And now you got guys coming in. Okongwu is probably going to replace a lot of Gallo's minutes as a defender, I've never seen anyone defend a guy like Giannis before. That, that's just point blank period that that excites me to see him get more minutes. And I think all these things are going to mesh into a growing dynamic. It'll take a little bit of time for them to mesh, but I can't see them going lower than the top six, honestly. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. I think they're, they're obviously, we still don't know with, with Brooklyn. They obviously, remember, we have to remember they finished outside the top six last year. You have to think it's going to be a pretty decent battle between Cleveland, Atlanta, and probably, I guess we'll have to say Brooklyn too, considering they finished outside the top six last year to break into that top six. Because I think we all believe the the teams that finished top six are likely going to be coming back and still be strong outfit. So it's going to be a real battle. So they, they might just end up in the play-in, but if things click from the off with the, with DeJounte and Trey in the backcourt and they are healthy and they're able to get out on the floor as a team together, then, yeah, I think it could definitely... Uh, it can definitely come through and they could definitely show up and surprise and get up into that top six. No doubt about that. Yeah. Do you, here's, here's a crazy question. Um, do you think that they are, do you think that they should, that they should be a better team than the Miami heat? Should. Should. Probably they should be matching them anyway. I think, yeah, I think they should. On paper, they absolutely should be matching what the the, the win totals of, of the Miami Heat at the very the very least. Yeah. Do you think they should be better than the Toronto Raptors? Yeah. 100%. Do you th- oh, this will pain me to ask you. Do you think they should be better than the Chicago Bulls? No. Hmm. Hmm. I'll put the smile on my face. I'm I'm not sure. I, I can't answer that confidently. I'll confidently tell you I think they'll be better than the the Cavs and everyone else. I mean, I, I just can't – I guess we can't talk about the Nets. It's not fair. If they bring everyone back, then it's a whole different story. But they they just – the the way that I think DeJounte fixes so many of their problems and the way that I think a lot of their problems will fix themselves with health and more continuity and uh, actually competing this year because they can't say, oh, well, we're just here for the playoffs. Like, yeah, well, you guys sucked last year in the playoffs. So time to figure it out. I, I I think that this is gonna be a big bounce back year. So if you're if you're better out there, I'm I'm putting money on putting money on the Hawks. Uh, I'd be backing them for the over anyway, whichever whatever they're. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure what they're over in it. terms of wins at the moment, <laughs> but I think I'd be backing them for the over at the at this stage anyway. Yeah. Um. Do we? It's it's interesting that last year we kind of compared them to the Hornets a little bit. Who we're about to talk about, and I think when we go through it. I think we'll both agree that they couldn't be further from each other when we're thinking about where they're going to end up next year. Yeah, let's let's just jump right over to the Hornets. I mean, they were basically what they finish with the same record as Atlanta last year. They finished forty three and thirty nine, and the Atlanta Hawks finished forty three and thirty nine. Yeah, and looking at it now as. Yeah, they've still got LaMelo Ball. I still think he's capable of growing and having a having a serious third year in the league, maybe even getting to all-star NBA sort of levels. But I don't see any way that this Hornets team does better than they did last year. I'd be going, I'd be majorly uh, confident in back in their uh, back in their under uh, for right uh, at this stage. Well, I'll just I'll just pull it up. So the Hawks over under is forty seven point five. That's actually that's a pretty fair mark, I'd say. That's a fair mark. Yeah. Um, and they got the the Hornets at wow thirty six point five. So the betting odds have them doing worse by about six games. 
Yeah, I'd, be, I, I'd take that. I, 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 yeah. I'd pitch your mammon around 35, 36 wins. And let, I guess, where, where do we start here? Do we start with where do you think they should be overall? Or we just start with LaBello? When you started with, with Trey Young last time, I, I figured we, yeah. we talked the positive. Maybe we start with the positive. We, we talk nicely about our Hornets here. We do. But LaMelo is an all-star. <laughs> all-star. LaMelo is an all-star. Young, I think he was the youngest all-star ever, actually, by, by months. He was uh, 20. Yeah, yeah. Am I, am I wrong? All right, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're yeah, the yeah, quiz maker. Yeah, but I'm thinking, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I'm thinking I'm the all-star. <laughs> okay, sorry, 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 sorry. He was, he was the fourth. That was only up by three. He's the fourth youngest all-star. In all-star game history. <laughs> Pretty close. Top five youngest. But let's talk about what he did and how good that's going to be this year. And if it's good enough to bring them higher, if I'm going to answer that quickly. No, but, but the way I see this is you have a lot of really good rookies, a lot of really good rookies, a lot of rookie of the years. And sometimes that can be a little deceiving situationally, um, just what, what those what those teams were like, how much minutes they got in a very honestly difficult season for him because he came onto the league. Everyone knew about him. He's rookie of the year. He's on scouting reports. He got a lot better. Most players in their sophomore year struggle to find a way to continue producing the way they did, and their efficiency goes down. Their numbers stagnate a little bit because they're on the scouting report. But I think this speaks to LaMelo's ascending stardom because he is so versatile. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to, to make plays. And the way that he works in the open court, the way that he play makes for others, the way he got better as a three-point shooter, those things have all really contributed. I, I don't know if you want to throw some, some numbers out there to the people, but it's, I think, striking to me that it's not just about the all-star nod. It's about the fact that in his second year, he took a jump despite being the center of attention for this team. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very impressive. I mean, I, I always remember backing him uh, when we did our predictions way back in his rookie year, backing him to get that, uh, to get that <laughs> crown. And he did. And then uh, yeah. more, more impressively, he was able to take it to an, another level than uh, in his second year. And obviously he went from around 16 points up to 20, and obviously the, the assist and, and rebound numbers were similar enough because they were just so high uh, during his rookie year. But he also stayed similar in terms of his shooting percentages despite taking a higher volume. He's at, I think, 44 and 35 splits in his rookie year and then 43 and 39 splits last year. That's that's always important to keep an eye on because you know in year two that the number of attempts is going to go up. And especially with the the injuries uh, to Hayward and a couple other guys, the ball, uh, the ball had to be in his hands. He had to, he had to take on that responsibility or else this team wouldn't have been anywhere close to, uh, to getting into playing. But I mean, I, I look at it like last year, he, he had nearly four more field goal attempts, nearly, nearly three more uh, three point attempts uh, uh, than his, than his rookie year. And I see that going up again and I see him still being able to, to put up the numbers one big thing that he has to improve on is his free throw attempts. Yeah, he's only had 3.2 free throw attempts per game in each of his first two years in the league. He's got to find a way to boost up that number. He's got to be around the six mark. He's he, he needs to attack the rim more. He needs to 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 get that kind of uh, 
the old uh, James Harden uh, kick out needs to he needs to find a way to try and uh, to try and nail that maneuver because if not, it's gonna it's gonna hurt him a little bit and it's gonna hurt the team a little bit. I mean, he only had twenty three and ones last year. Um, yeah, and if you compare that to a player kind of similar in terms of size and style of play, Luka Doncic had fifty five. I think that's that's all about strength and that that's mature. I mean, Doncic has been doing this in his like entire life, like get, playing physical Euro ball against grown ass men. Like Lamelo was this like gangly eighteen year old coming into the league, and I think he already looks a little bit stronger. I think that'll come with time. I think that'll come with time, and I think ultimately. That will be. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a huge point, an easy way for him to get more buckets. I mean, he's just not getting to the line, and that just comes with strength. That comes with. Um, I think he has the ability to get to the rim, but he has needs to add the strength to get all the way there. And I absolutely think that'll come. I was, I was actually laughing when you mentioned the Gordon Hayward thing because in my head it's like that. I think the the most significant way for you to get your star players going is you just trade for Gordon Hayward and expect him to get hurt and that'll just completely get you guys so maybe the magic should trade for Gordon Hayward get Paolo Bancaro just clearly number one uh <laughs> ball handling ability I, I don't know it's 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 sad for him because I I want him to do well and so did the Celtics the Celtics wanted him to do well and then he got hurt Jason Tatum had to step up same thing with the Hornets and Lamella had to step up. If you look at, it's sad to say, when you look at Hayward's numbers, he is essentially, if you boil it all down, he's essentially become the like 133rd best player in terms of efficiency in the league. Uh, it's a far cry from the efficiency he's had over the course of his career. It all has to do with consistency with injuries and stuff, but you just hope a guy like him will get better, but you can't rely on that. So when you talk about the Charlotte Hornets, I mean, what, what are we going to think about? We, we obviously know Lamelo's going to get better. They're great. And we know that as a team, the offense was fantastic. They were eighth in offensive rating, second in assist ratio for a young team. That's amazing for a young team. They share the ball just about as good as anybody. I mean, better than well, clearly better than so many different teams, second in fast break points, top five in three point shooting top five in steals and turnovers forced. Like they have a formula offensively that definitely works. That is a huge thing to clear up that what they do through LaMelo and what the type of play LaMelo is inspired in this team works in the regular season. Absolutely. How do they go beyond that though is, is a big question. And I think this is where it gets bad. So you look at the good, the bad, the ugly. The bad is they're bottom 10 just like the Hawks in just about every defensive category and rebounding as well, right there with them. And I don't think they've done much to change that. If we, I mean, what, what could change that? PJ Washington, great defender. You don't see a lot of things on the box where that's going to jump out about him, but he's, I think should get better, especially with time. But what about the young guys? Kai Jones, he's not ready. You saw him fail in summer league. Honestly, that's, that's a tough assessment, but it is true. Mark JT Williams. Thor. Mark Williams. No, and I was going to get to that. Mark Williams is not – I mean, he's not ready to take that role. I mean, I don't think he caps 20 minutes a game at the end of the season. If he's hitting 20 minutes a game at the end of the season, I think it's a huge success. But young centers just don't get that done. And I think that's where it gets ugly is you had a 13th pick and a 15th pick, and I think you look at Summer League, and that's not always the best thing. You just look at physically, though, the versatility. I think Jalen Duran's better. I think Jalen Duran is a more versatile 
defender than Mark Williams. And I think he's he would have been a per much perfect fit. Maybe that's a, that's a point. That's a that's a debate there. But I I think that's where things might have gone wrong for them in terms of what they could have looked forward to this season. But what what, what could go right? Maybe PJ Washington goes off. I mean, Miles Bridges isn't there. You need to give PJ the chance to get better. It's a contract year for him. And if we just think about what he is as a talent, every team in the NBA wanted to trade for him. Well, as soon as like rumors are like coming out, like every fan base was definitely all over themselves to get a guy like PJ Washington. Cause we don't know how good he can be. We still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of question marks around a lot of guys in this team. Obviously we're not, we're not going into bridges. That, that's all off, off the court stuff that like he's probably going to be without him. Can book nights, can he basically have a rookie year? Can he have a can he have a can he have a good rookie year? I mean, there's a good chance that it's going to be a starting backcourt if both healthy Lamelo and Booknight. That that could be a duo we see. They're talking about bringing back Kemba Walker, getting him in. Good, good, uh, good kind of personality to have around the dressing room. A decent backup uh, PG for for the young guys, but they definitely have size. Then if they're playing with Lamelo and Booknight, they have serious size in their backcourt, which gives them a chance of improving on the defensive end and adding the, the new coach, Steve, Steve Clifford, the new old coach that we talked about. Uh, obviously, he had a previous stint with the with the Hornets from 2013 to 2018, and he was all about the defense. Unfortunately, he was usually defense over offense, and the only way that he can come back in and this can be seen as a positive move by the Hornets is if he can find a better balance within the team of balancing defense and offense rather than it just being all about the defense because the best thing about this Hornets team, as we know, is the offensibility. They have to improve defensively if they're going to improve, if they're going to get to the playoffs. But Coach Clifford, he's got, he's got to find the balance. I'll say three things about that. One or four, rather. The defense, absolutely important. Totally agree with you. Two, when he's asked about specifically about LaMelo, I think he spoke on it great, like perfectly, that he doesn't want to change much about this offense. And he understands like how ascendant of a player he is. And I think really, if you look in three, if you look at the Hornets before LaMelo, it's not like they were this like fast-paced juggernaut. Like LaMelo is that. He's all of that. And I think that Clifford has this right mindset to channel that and to have continuity in how they play offensively. Um, but I think also, if you look at their half-court offense, it's a mess. Now, that's where the, when, when the floor shrinks, especially if they want to get ready for the playoffs, they need to learn how to be a good half-court offense too. They can't just be gunning up and down the floor all fast break because that isn't what works in the playoffs. That's not what works in tight games against good teams. And that's what this team wants to practice for. And I think Clifford can establish more discipline in the half court. And if that means they slow down a little bit, I think that's okay. I think it, I think we look at teams and we overvalue pace sometimes. And we have to think about what can a team do when you're not just forcing a ton of turnovers and running up and down the court, what can they do in the half court? And I think that that ultimately leads me to, to say that, you know, a couple of things like the Hornets have time to be patient. LaMelo is going to turn 21 next month, 21 years old. And the Hornets have shown success with player development. You look at Miles Bridges, you look at, I think PJ Washington it hasn't jumped off the page yet, but he clearly looks like a, a good player. 
Cody Martin has developed into a great role player. They've transformed Rosier into one of the best three-point shooting guards in the league. I mean, they should be patient with this group. We mentioned Book Knight, Kai Jones, JT Thor, Mark, Mark Williams, big, big expectations from him, but they need time. So I think this is just another grow and see year for Charlotte. It's a packed East. And I think, I mean, would it really be bad to be picking in the lottery again? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's time to be to be patient and allow these guys to figure things out and learn to develop that. They're, they're not in the course of a year going to learn to develop that that those habits that will translate into postseason success. But if they're in the postseason, I think it means one thing. I think it means like LaMelo just absolutely took off. P.J. Washington is actually – you put the ball in his hands, all of a sudden he's Miles Bridges times two with the defense. Maybe those are things that can happen. Maybe Gordon Hayward all of a sudden achieves Utah Jazz form. Those are great. But I think if Hornets fans look at themselves next July and they're rolling in the lottery, that's not too bad. I, I think that's fine, and that's probably where they're going to be. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that that's uh, definitely some very, very good points you made there. Two final questions to finish it up on the Hornets. Should they bring back Kemba Walker? And two, if Gordon Hayward is healthy, should they be planning for playing with him as part of their style lineup, or should they be planning for him to be a guy who comes off the bench? Because in the limited games that he has played as a member of the Hornets, he has still been able to put up good numbers. But should they look to have a more consistent starting lineup that they can rely on and not be planning with, with Hayward as part of that? I'll answer the second first. So that, that feels easier to me. Like, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Gordon Hayward isn't just a 40% three-point shooter. He isn't just a good defender. He isn't just a great rebounder. He's also a great playmaker. You can put the ball in his hands. You can take pressure off of Lamelo. You can allow Terry Rozier to be an off-ball shooter. You can run actions through Gordon Hayward. Like, that. that is huge. Like, him just being healthy, obviously, unlocks so much for this team. So that's an absolute yes. And when you talk about signing Kemba Walker – I don't know. Like, sure. That's cool. Like bring, bring the band back together again, bring Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker Celtic States. Those were great. Right. And, uh, but I, I think, you know, aren't we past that? Like, isn't why, why on earth, like past memories, like what, what Kemba Walker did great in Charlotte, he brought a name to Charlotte. He was an all-star in Charlotte. He's one of the best point guards in the league in Charlotte. That's great. But I think his time there is over. I, I, I think, you know, it would be better served to um, go out and get someone like – I'm I'm just thinking out loud. But a guy like Dwayne Washington, who I think – so Dwayne Washington from the Pacers, for example. He's a guy who's floating out there. He, I'm pretty sure, is waived. 22 years old, showed a lot of potential in the Pacers. Just a rotation guy. I mean, this is a year where you want to experiment. You want to, you want to try and figure out what your future is. Who's going to be on this team when you try and contend for a championship? Go, go out and find those those young guys. Go out and find guys who are going to compete and are going to want to break into this rotation. Would they be crazy to make an offer for Colin Sexton? I was just thinking that. Um. Oh man, you know, no, no, they wouldn't. Do they? I, I think it's a financial thing. Do they have the money for that? 
Yeah, yeah. It would have to be some sort of sign-in trade. Honestly, think about it this way. I mean, they have just a plethora of wings. We didn't even get to talk about Jalen McDaniels, who I I think has great potential as a wing defender too. This Miles Bridges void should be really interesting to see how these young guys develop. But then you, you think about what Cleveland needs. They need a really good versatile wing. Maybe Gordon Hayward is just physically looks great. You haven't seen any offseason uh, lift lifting buff picks yet from him, but if you do, maybe the Cavs are interested in a sign and trade there. That that would be interesting if they want to accelerate their timeline. Colin Sexton's like, yeah, I really don't want that deal. Maybe maybe that's something that they could do. Then send send over send over something like Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre, who's only has like five million guaranteed on his deal. That. All right, you, you got me thinking there. Maybe that's something. Because then you get Colin Sexton on ball. Lamelo can play a little bit more off ball, kind of the offensive version a little bit. Kind of what we talked about with the Hawks, but very different. But that that's uh that's interesting. Not enough news for for Colin Sexton though. That's what was it three years, forty million that that Cavs offered him, which yeah. is just a terrible deal for him. Just not not a lot of interest right now. No, I think he's gonna take take the qualifying offer, bet on himself, and I think he'll be uh, he can be he can be better for it once he's able to stay healthy. Yeah, I believe so. Well, we shot for thirty, we went to forty six, but this is a lot of good stuff. We I hope everyone here leaves a little bit more hopeful about your Hawks, a little bit more patient about your Hornets, and excited for some of these uh, new dynamics we'll see from both these teams next season. But uh, we'll continue to go through these Eastern Conference teams preview as much as we can hopefully durant doesn't ruin any of our podcasts by joining any of these teams we talk about but we'll uh we'll do our best to use our magic eight ball and avoid that huh yeah i think that i think that, I think that sounds good but uh let's also hope that something does happen with that and he's away from brooklyn because that would also be pretty fun too <laughs> i'm i'm telling you man, I, I think there's still that chance he they're just screwing with the league and they just stay in <laughs> they stay in brooklyn who knows who knows at this point that's 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 a rumor anyway. That's a, that's a, that's what that's what they say. But uh, you never you never really know until you know within this within the NBA today, right? The wise words of Ronan: You don't know until you know. Thank you. Well, I'll let everyone uh, ride that out until the weekend. Hope everyone has a great, fun, and safe weekend, and we'll see you back next week. Until then, take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.